الحمد للہ الحمد للہ الحمد للہ الذي هدانا لهذا وما كنا لنهتدي لولا ان هدانا الله واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له له الحمد وله الملك يحيي ويميت بيده الخير وهو على كل شيء قدير وأشهد أن محمدا عبد الله ورسوله وصفيه وخليله أرسله الله للناس نذيرا وبشيرا من يطع الله ورسوله فقد رشد ومن يعص الله ورسوله وأولي الأمر من المؤمنين فقد ضل ضلالا بعيدا أوصيكم ونفسي أولا بتقوى الله وطاعته وأحذركم من عسيانه ومخالفة أمره أما بعد فإن خير الحديث كتاب الله وأحسن الهدي هدي محمد والشر الأمور محدثاتها وكل محدثة بدعة وكل بدعة ضلالة وكل ضلالة في النار يقول الله عز وجل وهو أصدق القائلين في كتابه الكريم وكذلك نفصل الآيات ولتستبين سبيل, ولتستبين سبيل المجرمين Brothers and sisters, committed Muslims. This ayah that was just quoted is the 55th ayah in Surah, in Surah Al-An'am. Roughly translated, the ayah means Roughly translated, the, the ayah means And we have revealed to you our power demonstrations So that the path 
of those who are criminals may become distinct. This particular ayah caps off a suite of ayat that allude to the weight of class distinction upon man-made religion and human systems of rule. These ayat were revealed at a time when the Prophet ﷺ was more disposed to keeping the company of those who were poor, those who were dispossessed, and those who were underprivileged in society, as opposed to keeping the company of the elites and the aristocrats of Makkah. The poor and the underprivileged were people like Bilal, Ammar ibn Yasir, ibn Mas'ud, and others, some of whom had been slaves, but all of whom belonged to what was considered at that time to be the underclass. Materialistic societies and militaristic governments have a way of distorting the facts about revelation and divine communication. In fact, human systems of power Power establishments have such a profound impact on the way that people think that prophets have been rendered into ghosts and scripture has been rendered into what would basically be considered to be a myth. But if you really and truly want to get a flavor of these ayat and you want to have an appreciation for what Allah has revealed you have to realize that this particular set of ayat were revealed at a time to expose the behavior of materialistic societies in their desire and their expectation to demand that their prophet had status in society. And so far as the means or the measure of having that status, they left this up to the elites in the society. And so for a prophet to be able to communicate to the people of a society, he, according to the elites of that society, had to have a reputation. And this reputation had to be built upon the performance of miracles or on the conducting of certain kinds of supernatural acts. But brothers and sisters, let us be clear. That if you belong to the ambiance and the diction and the words and the guidance of the Qur'an, you know that the mission of prophets 
is about recasting society upon the divine principles of social justice. It is not about performing miracles and it is not about predicting the future. But nonetheless, these mushriks of Mecca at the time of our Prophet alayhi wa alihi salatu wasalam, in order for them to commit to the God of Muhammad, then he had to prove his qualifications to them. But as Allah Ta'ala is saying in these ayat, social status is not a prerequisite for guidance. The real circumstances in which these ayat were revealed, and once again I'm talking about Ayat 51 through 55 in Surah Al-An'am. The real circumstances in which these ayat were revealed have to do with the Arabian aristocracy responding in an unfavorable fashion to the message that the Prophet ﷺ was promoting. They felt that it was beneath them to respond favorably to his message. And they rationalized their rejection because they saw that the Prophet was surrounding himself with the poor and the indigent of his society. People like Bilal, people like Umar ibn Yasir, people like Suhaib uh, al-Rumi, people like Salman al-Farsi, Ammar ibn Yasser and others. Most of whom, again, happened to belong to the underclass, some of whom were foreigners, and some of whom happened to be slaves. And so they felt, the aristocrats of Mecca, felt that these sort of low lives, in their view, didn't qualify to sit with the upper class and the private enterprise strata of the Makkan society. And so they approached the Prophet and they offered him a deal. So they said to him, that why don't you reserve one session for us and offer a separate but equal session you know, to these lowlifes to these scum. And in such a way they rationalized to themselves that they could completely avoid having to associate with these underclasses altogether. And so they concocted this scheme with a view to trying to evade their, res their responsibility to the underprivileged underclasses. And by the way, you need to understand that it was this Makkan aristocracy that created this Arabian underclass to begin with. It was their very own privilege that was a predicate for the dispossession and the exclusion of these particular underclasses. Because privilege, of course, is all about exclusion and excommunication. You either belong to an aristocratic class, you were born into it, 
or you don't. So these particular classes could not countenance the fact that when a divine message is revealed from on high, that the God of this divine message would favor the underclasses more than he would pay attention to the elites and the wealthy and the privileged and the influential in society. And so with this backdrop, let us fast forward to today. Of course, not much has changed. When wealth, power, privilege, and prestige determines the nature of human relationships, then you basically have a society with no values. Such societies create their own internal tension. And from one historical frame to another, these types of societies have been rationalizing from the beginning of time until now their own justifications for class discrimination, for gender dysfunction, and for racial separation. These ayat, of which I just quoted one, وَكَذَلِكَ نُفَصِّلُ الْآيَاتِ لِتَسْتَبِينَ سَبِيلُ الْمُجْرِمِينَ These particular ayat were revealed to develop and to establish a society on a foundation that had nothing to do with class, nothing to do with race. In fact, the very people, the powerless people that were surrounding Allah's Prophet wasallam, these very people were the antithesis of class consciousness and race consciousness. For not only did they compose a variety of different races, they belonged to the very races that were oppressed by the Meccan aristocracy. And here the Prophet is elevating these people into his inner circle. And here is the, uh, guidance coming from on high. And apparently the people who were not privileged in society were more attuned to this guidance than the aristocracy. And the aristocracy had a problem living with this. And so we have in our world today. In today's world, we have the, the politics of discrimination, apartheid, bigotry. These types of politics rule the day. Sexism, racism, and any other kind of ism that you want to name, Basically, in today's world, these types of isms are running amok. And close behind them are the ideologies of nationalism and socialism and capitalism. All of which are saturated with discrimination. All of which are saturated and inundated with abusive behavior. The modern materialistic society has never seen a day When the underprivileged classes, the oppressed, 
the underprivileged, the poor, the indigent, were in the inner circle of their leader. And we don't have to go very far to prove this particular assertion. Just look at the most powerful man. Just look at the most powerful man in the most powerful city in the world today. Does he want to have anything to do with the underprivileged classes in the society? Can they break bread with him in the White House? Can they appear in the legislative assemblies and demand a redress of their grievances? No, you have to go through lobbies. You have to go through the channels of the system, which require money, which require wealth, to grease the wheels of any kind of public action in favor of those who may be underprivileged. وَكَذَلِكَ نُفَصِّلُ الْآيَاتِ لِتَسْتَبِينَ سَبِيلُ الْمُجْرِمِينَ In the Qur'anic composition of these ayat, not only do they tell us the path forward, but they also describe for us the path of deviation and destruction. Committed Muslims are supposed to be able to apprehend a path of falsehood when they see one. A deen without social justice is not Islam. And a people who are inattentive to the principles of social justice cannot be called Muslims. Even if their Islamic rituals are wed to the approval and the acceptance of systems of racism and sexism and bigotry. And so let us take a look at a couple of examples in our present world where the weight of class distinction is causing the kind of instability and the kind of unrest and exasperation that lie at the roots of terrorism in the world. Just some weeks ago, you saw what happened in Bolivia where the representative government of the people that had been functioning adequately and to the benefit of the people for the past 12 years was overthrown by the generational and the landed aristocracy of that society. And that aristocracy in Bolivia had connections to other landed aristocracies in other parts of the world, primarily in the United States and the United Kingdom. And so a functioning government 
what you might call a democratic representative government that was representing the people of that country was overthrown by the aristocrats and what was at stake for both ends of the spectrum in that society obviously it was resources and one key resource in that country is lithium and lithium is important to battery technology in the information age we know that the new age battery technology for powering an entire home for powering automobiles for power for, for, for powering other appliances we know that a lot of this technology depends on precious precious metals like gold silver cobalt and lithium and so what oil is today to the international economy these pressure these precious metals could replace oil in the future as the kind of stuff that backs up the power currencies in the world and obviously Bolivia is not the only example the same script is being applied in Venezuela today we have perhaps the richest aristocracy in the world in the Arabian Peninsula which is attacking basically one of the poorest countries on earth a country whose GDP basically amounts to nothing compared to the world GDP and you might remember what happened a few years ago in Libya we're not defending the dictator of that country but what we want to know is that there were 144 metric tons of gold storehoused in Libya before that particular government was overthrown and so we want to know what happened to that 144 metric tons of gold nobody's talking about it where did it all go Sub-Saharan Africa is considered to be the poorest part of the world today. Yet, that particular part of the world pays $25,000 every minute to northern creditors. Get your head around that figure. $25,000 a minute from the poorest part of the world to the wealthiest part of the world. That's $13 billion a year from the poorest part of the world. And if you take the entire southern hemisphere, $200 billion every year are sent to the northern hemisphere. And what's this $200 billion doing? obviously is subsidizing the luxuries and the excesses of the northern hemisphere the people who have it made brothers and sisters don't believe the hype that you see in the media 
these power countries are trying to tell you that they're carrying the third world. That were it not for them, the third world would have starved and passed away a long time ago. Yet it's the other way around. That were it not for the third world, the undeveloped world, the excesses and the luxuries that you see here, the three cars and the garage, the 50 room mansions, none of that would exist were it not for the massive transfer of wealth from the poor to the super rich. And that is what these ayat are trying to communicate to us. Do you want to know what the roots of terrorism are? Yes, even though they're as poor as they are, they have cell phones. They have access to internet media. And they can see what the transfer of wealth from their societies is doing, not for them, but for, but for where its destination is. And so you would expect them to feel exasperated. You would expect them to feel anger. And you would expect them to employ dysfunctional ways to redress that polarization. Terrorism has nothing to do with hating somebody else's values. This has nothing to do with hating somebody else's systems of government. It has everything to do with needing the basic needs of life and not be able to have access to them. وَكَذَلِكَ نُفَصِّلُ الْآيَاتِ وَلِتَسْتَبِينَ سَبِيلُ الْمُجْرِمِينَ أقول قولي هذا وأستغفر الله لي ولكم فاستغفروه يغفر لكم فاسترشدوه يرشد الحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله As you would realize from the first part of this khutbah that there is a massive transfer of wealth and resources that are going from the dispossessed to the terminally possessed that are going from the super poor to the super rich but this kind of a situation does not persist unless there are people on earth who want it that way it is often said by people in power that if you see something happening in the public space it's because somebody wanted it to be that way. And the second part of the khutbah here on the street 
is normally reserved to exposing these elements on earth who want and who thrive and who benefit and prosper off a system of polarity on earth. The current crown prince of that kingdom in Arabia, he is intent on recasting his image from a bone saw aficionado to a peacemaker. And so what is now coming out in the news and this information is just beginning to trickle out that one of the sort of unwritten aspects or one of the unwritten articles of the deal of the century is that in March or April well before the 2020 election here right right here in the United States that there's going to be a sort of a Camp David too, where this MBS and the war criminal in Israel is going to come for a sort of a circus here in Washington. And the showman, of course, is the resident of 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. And so this MBS, he's going to be recasting his image as a peacemaker, expecting everybody in the world to forget about what he did to sort of an insider journalist in his own society. And don't be surprised if both of these two war criminals are given the Nobel Peace Prize. Just last week, again, in that kingdom of iniquity, for the very first time in public, the king of that society hosted a meeting of the board of this center called the Abdullah bin Abdul Aziz Center for Interreligious and Intercultural Dialogue. And one of the board members of this center is a one by the name of Rabbi David Cohen. He's a board member of this intercultural, interreligious center for dialogue. And they held a meeting of the board members in Riyadh and this rabbi showed up as a board member in that meeting. Now this is the first time in public where a rabbi has been seen with the king. Now if this was a rabbi who was anti-Zionism, who was for justice for the Palestinians, who was for justice in the Holy Land, 
then we would have no problem with this. But this particular rabbi is the director of interreligious outreach or interreligious affairs at the American Jewish Committee. An organization whose key purpose in life has been to deconstruct any Palestinian claim to the Holy Land. And here we have him meeting with the king and all of the other functionaries right there in Riyadh. The flight training for Saudi pilots that was canceled or rescinded in Pensacola, Florida has now resumed. You might recall that a particular Saudi pilot, in a sense, according to the newspapers, went crazy and killed three U.S. servicemen and wounded eight. And it was thought at the time that there would be no more training for Saudi pilots or basically Muslim pilots in the United States. But now, quietly, that pilot training has resumed. Not a big story. In the newspapers, you might have missed it. Israeli colonial forces were responsible just last week for assaulting Palestinians who live in and around what is considered to be the burial place of Prophet Yusuf These Palestinians were assaulted in order to allow these squatters, so-called settlers, these Israeli land grabbers, to go to the tomb. Before 1948, anybody could go to the tomb. It didn't matter whether you were Jewish, you were Muslim, you were Christian, or any of these, or not any of these religions. You could go to all of these places in peace. Nobody checked your religion at the door. Nobody cared. Didn't matter. But now, because one of these so-called religions, and Zionism is no religion, it's a political ideology of exclusion, and now that you have a political ideology occupying and colonizing the Holy Land, now you need some kind of identification ticket before you can go to a holy place. You need some kind of a visa, some kind of a pass or admission. And heaven forbid if you happen to be Muslim. The word holy and Muslim can't be said in the same sentence. President Trump's envoy to the Middle East, a person by the name of Jason Greenblatt, one of the key architects of the so-called deal of the century, is really the steel of the century. He's just recently accepted a position with an Israeli venture capital firm. So much for U.S. equity in dealing with the Palestinians and the Israelis. 
this particular and this particular person that Trump had chosen to be his Middle East envoy, he happened to be one of Trump's private lawyers for 20 years. And so now he has accepted a position with an Israeli venture capital firm and what's the so what of his position? What's the objective? Is to build financial ties with the aristocrats of the Gulf. The aristocrats in Saudi Arabia, in the United Arab Emirates, in Qatar, in Bahrain. Again, just last week, the head of Mossad, that's the Israeli or the uh, intelligence service of choice for the super rich in the world, the head of the Mossad, Yossi Cohen, and an Israeli general by the name of Herzi Halivi, he met with top Qatari officials just last week. And why did they get together? Because the Israelis were putting pressure on the Qataris to give some money to Hamas in Gaza. Why would the Israelis be pressuring the Qataris to give money to Hamas? Well, they've all had an agreement and this agreement goes back years and years and years. Until now it's been secret. But they want to keep Hamas on what you might call a drip feed so that the Israelis can have a cover for not doing anything about their uh, uh, their keeping Gaza as an open-air prison. In this particular meeting, it was secret until one of that war criminal Netanyahu's associates, one of his rivals, revealed this in public. All of these people, they're running for president of that Zionist entity in the Holy Land. And so they're rivals of each other. And so one of these rivals revealed this information about this meeting in Qatar to the public media. And in response, that war criminal Netanyahu, he said that what you see happening in public is only 10% of what's been going on for the past several decades. In fact, the meeting that took place between the Sudanese general who now rules the country and this war criminal, that meeting that took place according to Netanyahu was nothing new. That contacts, official contacts between the official Sudanese representatives and official Israeli representatives go all the way back to the 1950s. And now because you have rivals either in Arabia or either in Israel against each other, you have all of this news that is now trickling to the surface. And finally, all of us are aware that the Arrival Islamic Conference, Arrival Islamic Conference to the OIC, the Organization of Islamic Cooperation, 
that is controlled from Riyadh. A rival Islamic conference took place in December in Malaysia. And news and information is now coming out that the Saudis had a secret plan to, sabot to sabotage and undermine this conference, this rival conference. And their plan was targeting newspapers and television channels and bloggers and websites in Pakistan and in Indonesia and in the other Arabian Gulf countries. And they were being targeted with a view to distributing talking points to the commentators and the producers to not only undermine the conference, but to belittle its participants and to hype up the so-called Saudi donations and contributions to the Muslim countries of the world, especially to Palestine. So they want to window dress about what they are contributing to the Muslim world, but behind the scenes, they want to engage and break bread and conspire with the enemies of the Muslims. And in particular, these Zionists in the Holy Land. And so, what, and so now we see why Allah Ta'ala has revealed these ayat. For indeed, He spoke the truth. وَكَذَلِكَ نُفَصِّلُ الْآيَاتِ وَلِتَسْتَبِينَ سَبِيلُ الْمُجْرِمِينَ Allahumma arina al-haqqa haqqan warzuqna al-tiba'ah wa arina al-baatila baatilan warzuqna ajtinaabah Allahumma aghfir lil-mu'minina wal-mu'minat wal-muslimina wal-muslimat al-ahyai minhum wal-amwat innaka qareebun sami'un mujibu al-da'awat اللهم ربنا آتنا في الدنيا حسنة وفي الآخرة حسنة وقنا عذاب النار إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والعصر إن الإنسان لفي خسر إلا الذين آمنوا وعملوا الصالحات وتواصوا بالحق وتواصوا, وتواصوا بالصبر ومن أظلم ممن منع مساجد الله أن يذكر في هسمه وسعى في خرابها أولئك ما كان لهم أن يدخلوها إلا خائفين لهم في الدنيا خزي ولهم في الآخرة عذاب عظيم عباد الله إن الله يأمر بالعدل والإحسان وإيتاء ذي القربى وينهى عن الفحشاء والمنكر والبغي يعظكم لعلكم تذكرون ولا ذكر الله أكبر والله يعلم ما تصنعون وأقم الصلاة